0: This message is produced by the Transformation Edge Church. We believe you'll be inspired and transformed by it. The Trans Edge, a change is inevitable. We bow before you, Father. We know that you are the champion in our lives, God. And that is why we no longer fight any battles, but we stand in the grace and in the victory that you've given us. We praise you, God. We honor you, Father. And Lord, as we sit back down this morning to hear your word, speak to our hearts, speak to our season, speak to the very questions that we've been asking, God. You provide the answer, God. And that is not to say we will not continue to ask questions because that's what humans do. But we do know that you continue to have answers for us. We know that you will heal, you will deliver, you will set free because that's what you do best. And Lord, we trust you. And we'll set our hearts open to hear your word this morning. Speak to us, God. Sweet Holy Spirit, use me by yourself. Don't let me speak from my own wisdom, but speak through me, God. Words of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this morning, I want us to have a quick look at a life of Someone in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Second Kings, chapter five, and we're thinking we're going to be talking about the man Naaman today, and um, not only just talking about Naaman, but talking about all the characters that are, that's represented in that story. So we're going to read a bit of a long scripture this morning, and then we'll set a foundation for the next few weeks to come. Because this chapter holds a whole lot of um, lessons for us today. Of course, it's, it was set, you know, more than two, three, four thousand years ago, but I do believe that the lessons is relevant for us today. Second, uh, Second Kings, chapter five. I'm going to read from verse one. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophets who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robe and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robe, he sent him this message Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, or rather, have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in Jordan, and your flesh will be restored. And you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Fapa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great things, would you, not do, or would you not have done it? How much more then, when he tells you, wash and be cleansed. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God he stood before him and said, now I know that there's no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servants. Amen. Now, verse 1 helps us to recognize that Naaman was actually a commander of the army. He was a great man. He was a man of influence. He was a man of authority. But there was a but in his life. The last line there said, but he had leprosy. But he had leprosy. He was great until, but everything else was working in his life like he'd wanted them to work until, but, he had leprosy. And uh, whilst it's not so common in our day because of advancement in in um, medical research and, and all of those kind of things. But it used to be a very common thing back in those days where anyone with leprosy, because it's a communicable disease, it's, um, it's, it's, you know, you can catch it. So you are, or rather, anyone with leprosy is kind of alienated. It stays outside of the camp. It stays outside of, you know, normal dwellings. And thinking about that, you realize that this guy, yet he was a commander. So how would they command his army and be completely prosperous if he had leprosy? And the thought that came to me was, the king must have been worried. His families must have been concerned. So what are we going to do? This isn't good very soon you're going to lose your job and you're going to lose your status because he had leprosy. Now, another character that we find in the scripture, that same scripture there, was the maid from Israel. And the maid was actually... A servant, not just a maid who helps out in the house. It was a servant. She was captured. And people from Aram, which is where this commander, Naaman, lives, had gone to Israel to raid Israel. And, you know, came back with some servants and whatever they, they came back with. And one of them was dismayed, And the maid told her mistress, which is her boss, and say, hey, in Israel, if Naaman, our master, was in Israel, he would be healed. Can you tell him? Is there a way you can convince him? And it's quite interesting how a servant girl decided not to hold grudges Although, a few weeks, a few months, a few years ago, he was caught. she was caught and brought in to be a servant in a different land. That's the second character that we saw. Now, the third character is the king. Naaman went to the king and said, hey, um, I heard that there is some cure in Israel. And I'd like to go and check it out. And the king said, Okay, I'll give you a letter. You want to go? When do you want to go? We'll make everything possible for you so that you can go and get a cure. That's the third character. The fourth one was a king of Israel who received a letter from the king of Aram. And what was his response? His first response was, Why would you send someone with leprosy to me? Am I God? Why are you looking for trouble with me? Why are you trying to make trouble with me? By sending me someone whom you know I have no solution for. That's the fourth character. Now we have a fifth character. And his name was Prophet Elisha. Who had the king... Had become a bit upset because of the request of King of the King from Aram. And he went, It's okay, King, don't be worried. Just send him to me. And they will know that there's a prophet in Israel. There are so many other characters in that scripture, we didn't finish it. But we will look at these five characters and try to identify where we are in our lives today and the way we respond to situations that both concerns us and situations that it's not our business, but people want us to respond to it, and situations that, whilst it's not our business, we can respond to regardless Now, let's think about the first person, probably not Naaman himself. Let's think about the girl. She's nameless. She didn't have a name, no one mentioned her name. However, through the information that she provided, the great Naaman was healed. She was a slave girl, a servant captured. And yet, she had something that could never be taken away from her. Her faith in her God and compassion for people. Are you still here with us? She had faith in her God. Now, if you study a bit more You realize in verse 17, actually, you realize that there was a different God in Aram. There was a different God. Aram is another name for Syria, modern-day Syria. There was a different God in Syria that the people served. So it was not even the God of Israel. And of course, as a servant, she would possibly be required to serve whatever God's. Her master serves, but she never forgot the potency of her own God. Now, I'm not sure where you are in your life in terms of how you relate with other people and how you carry the gospel into your world. Does the environment you find yourself Take away the, the capacity to be able to speak about your God and not being relegated in your mind to the background, to say, well, you don't have to tell people that you're a Christian. Just keep quiet. You'll be all right. Just keep quiet. It's okay. Provided no one knows you're a Christian, everything will go well. Are you that person like this servant girl, Perhaps you are not a servant in whatever you do, but, but in some instances, we serve people, not from a voluntary perspective, but from a necessary perspective in terms of our jobs. Because we do, things to, uh, we do things to ensure that our boss are happy with us. Because when there's a review of whatever you've done for the past six months, it will be dependent on how much you have... Um, you know, how much you, have, you know, how much productivity has come through you. So most of the time, we'll do things just to ensure that we are in good books. And to some extent, we become servants to that. To some extent, we'll become servants to the need of our organization. But would you be able to go, No hold on, I have a God, and I can't trade that for anything. Would you allow also, another way to see it is, would you allow the love of God to flow naturally through you, regardless of where you are at, regardless of how people have treated you? The servant girl, don't forget, she was pulled away from her family to a different place where the gods don't look the same. Perhaps they don't even speak the same language. And who knows what kind of house she had come from. What if she had come from an affluent family, and now she has found herself as a servant? Like some of you, or some of us, let's say, who, actually, um, in Australia, there's no one that is not an immigrant, unless otherwise the... um, you know, original people. But most of us have left our host, uh, our original country to Australia, right? And some of us were, you know, in some way living in a, a very affluent life. And then you find yourself here, things are a little bit different. What you had expected it to be is not what it is. So, whilst that is a voluntary migration, there were some people who did not migrate to Australia voluntarily. Quite unfortunately, you know, they came to Australia to take refuge. And thank God we are no longer in slave trade, you know, days. But, of course, there would have been people who had been forcefully taken away from their families, stripped away from things that they used to know. And now dumped in a whole new environment. And that was the kind of life this girl was living. She was serving. But then she saw the master. Of course, I'm, I'm not sure about you. Perhaps if I was the one, I would hold so much bitterness. And even if I know that the next, uh, uh, on the next street, there's a cure there, I probably might not tell the master. Do you know why? Because the master actually led the raid. He was the commander of the army. But she still had compassion. And she still had a God. So in your life, regardless of what is happening in your life, would you keep your compassion up? Would you allow your God to come through situations and circumstances just to be able to help other people, would you? Would you? Because it's important for us to get to understand where this maid, this servant was. Her state of mind, possibly. But she didn't hold that against the master. And she said to her mistress, she said, if only, if only the master can seek some help in Israel. And then the master head, Naaman head, And Naaman went to the king. And this is what I thought about Naaman. Because if you study it a little bit, you realize that Naaman went to the king to seek permission. Now, the way he sought permission was more or less, I'm just going to seek permission to, you know, so that I can satisfy that I've done everything I can do. With regards to my condition, did he want to be cured? Yes. Did he want to be healed? Yes. But did he want to go back to Aram? No. Think about it. In things that we've blown, opportunities that we've blown, relationships that we've blown, and now you are called back there for things that will only benefit you. How would you feel? you feel a bit embarrassed you feel a bit nonchalant to some extent i'm not quite sure if i want to then i'm not sure what he was thinking but i think also that he went to the king to seek permission and his hope was that the king would say uh no but the king did not say no the king was more enthusiastic about the opportunity, the chance to ensure that he gets healed. And the king said, yeah, great. I will even write a letter for you. That's my second point. So my first point is, hold your faith, right? Think about the little girl whilst she was in, an uncomfortable position, uh, pulled away from her family, but she did not hold her against the people she was with. She was compassionate, and she was willing to share her God. Are you willing to share the gospel regardless of where you are at? Or have you already blacklisted those people who you don't mind going to hell? Let God's word gain ascendancy in your life. So the second guy, Naaman, went to the king. Hopefully was expecting a no, but the king gave him a letter and said, yes, go. Go tell the king, I know the king. But don't forget, there was always a problem between Syria and Israel. But the king knew that this was their opportunity for the honor of Naaman the Great to be restored. And said, Naaman, you're going to go. And Naaman thought, I thought you were going to say no. Okay, now I've got to deal with the problem. I'm going to be embarrassed. But let's look for a way to do this. Let's get some money so that instead of feeling embarrassed, I will show up in my, you know, with my entourage and all the monies that I have and pay for my healing. So let's do this. Okay, let's do this. So him taking the money with him was actually to reduce the, the, the uh, impact of the potential embarrassment. So that was how he thought. Now, my second point, like I was mentioning, was how many of us have gone through roads that we've blown the relationship, and now you're expected to go back there to make amends? How do you go about it? How do you go about it? Do you go back with a list of so many things that you've achieved? Let me just go and show it to them so that they know that I've not been sitting idle. Let me go and show them how much I've acquired. Probably that will buy them back. How are you going to go? Would you go with all your regalia, all your achievements, all your degrees, to just show to them that, hey, Ade, I've been doing great for myself? You know? But you see, this relationship, you know, you'll gain more from me than I'll gain from you, but I need you. That was Naaman. That was Naaman. Naaman needed healing, but he went with some riches. Say, I'll make you rich. You just wave your hand over me and I'll be healed, but I'll make you rich. So the first question is, would you blow the relationships you know you always benefit from? Of course you won't if you know you will always benefit from, but you never can tell where God takes you back to tomorrow. So you're thinking, I'm leaving this job because all the team leaders in the job, they've been really horrible to me, so I'm going to give them a piece of my heart before I leave. And then you give them a piece of your dirty heart. Right? You, you know, you write a resignation letter and your resignation letter is full of, Name mentioning and all the swear words you were not allowed to use while you were there, this time no one can hold you back on it, right? He told them. And all the secret things you sw- you know, you've sworn an oath not to reveal, it was your time to reveal them. Thinking, you know what, this is done, dusted, we're not going back to that road. And then all of a sudden, the only job that matches your resume, that matches your qualification, is back there. What would you do? What would you do? Where will you look now? That was where Naaman was. That was where Naaman was. The third character, the king. The king knew that Naaman, or rather, even his country, Syria and Israel, had a history. And it was not a good history. It's always been a bad history. And study the Old Testament, you see how many times the Israelites and Syria had had war against each other. They've had a very bad history. But the interesting thing is that the king did not allow the history to determine what he wanted. There are some people, regardless of how bad the relationship has been, they want to continue to keep that line of communication. Just in case. Are you that kind of a person who would like to keep that line of communication open? Not cut the rope. Can I say to you, never cut the rope. Because you never can tell where God is taking you. You never can tell what, what you have that someone else might benefit from or what they have that you might benefit from. Don't cut the rope. And that happens a lot in relationships, Right? As in, you know, relationships. You know the type of relationships I'm talking about. Okay. It happens a lot. You go, we are no longer in a relationship, so we're not enemies. You know, that's, that's how it, it sort of works. Don't call me, I don't call you. Delete me off your Facebook page. unknown to you that you're still breathing the same oxygen right you accidentally get in the same bus you feel like melting because you've already blown the relationship beyond recognition don't cut the rope that you are no longer in the agreed contractual relationship does not mean that you Cut the rope. Because you never can tell through whom that person may gain salvation. You never can tell. Don't cut the rope. King, the, the king of Syria did not cut the rope. Actually, he was confident that the king of Israel can do something. Because he's heard about news from Israel before. He was confident. So he wrote a letter and said, okay, go give it to the king. And that introduces the fourth person. The king of Israel received the letter and thought, ah, this is war. I thought this war was over, but this is psychological war. And why would he think that way? You see, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Because that's exactly what he expected other people to treat him. So when when he received the letter, he was upset. You and I read the letter, right? Oh, we read the letter a few minutes ago. Was there any problem with that letter? Oh, think about it. The letter was this. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read. With this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Does it sound like any violence? No. Actually, the letter is asking for something from you. And all of a sudden, the king thought about something different. Would you say the letter was misread? Perhaps. But he decided to see from the letter what he wanted to see from the letter. The letter was, hey... Sending my servant Naaman to you for you to cure him of his leprosy. And then he got angry. He got upset and said, Oh my God, why is he looking for trouble with me? How many of us will respond that way when you get a text message from that friend that has not contacted you for about four years? And all of, all of a sudden, you get a text message from, from him or her and goes, uh, I just thought about you. How are you doing? What would be the first thought that comes into your mind? What's he looking for? What do you want? What now? Don't be that way. Don't be that way. Because you never can tell. For someone to ask something of you, it also means that you have the capacity to deliver, whether or not you know. You have the capacity to deliver. And do you know, as Christians, we don't know the extent of our capacity, of our power. We don't know until we start to use it. Jesus said, go in my name, and hardly do we ever use his name. But when we do use his name, things happen. Things change. So the king of Israel did not even know that the prophet Elisha had the capacity to heal the leprous. And what did he say? The guy's looking for trouble. This is war. And probably the next thing he would have done was gather the armies. Let's go to Syria. We're knocking them out. But that was not the reason. The reason was simple and clear. Could you please heal my commander? Cleanse him of his leprosy. Interestingly, and this is my fifth one, Naaman, or the king of Syria, did not address the letter to Elisha, but Elisha heard about the king's rage and presented a solution. Are we still here? The Elisha heard about the king's rage and presented a solution. He saw that he has a capacity to bring about a solution. There are some of you. If you know how to do something, and you see other people struggling, would you lend a hand, or would you just go, "Oh wow, this looks like um, what's this"? this thing on TV where people watch things and comment about how good or bad, how terrible it is. It's on TV. Sorry? Goggle box, right? Yeah. They just sit down and laugh at people, whether, you know, if it's funny or really great. At times, we feel like that at times. You just go, oh, that person is struggling. You know, there are some people that I tease and go, when God was creating tall people, where were you? <laughs> you know, at times I just tease them. Well, for some of us, you just sit back and go, oh, he's trying. So, you know, his hands will never get, and you know his hands will never get to the top of the rack. But you just sit back, and inside of you, you are laughing, LOL. You know, you're just going, you know, in your head, he's sending so many Facebook messages, LOL, this guy, man. You know, add some inches, you know, eat some more. But you could help. You could help. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you could help, but you found yourself, instead of helping, criticizing? You know, one of the simplest things for us to do is to criticize. It does not take much to start criticizing at all. You can sit there right now, and the first thing you are thinking about is, what is it saying? What is he talking about? So instead of actually following my point, you are actually reanalyzing how I'm saying it, what I'm saying, what you think that scripture meant, and uh, all the messages that you've heard about that same scripture, you criticize, and It's very easy for us to criticize. But how about hearing someone else is struggling with a particular thing and go, what do I have? What can I get? What can I put on? Something can be done. Do you know why? Because in a team of people, there's every solution. Every solution. And you think you can't do a particular thing, but you can pray. Right? You can pray. You can talk to someone else about it. You don't have to mention the other person's name, but you can just say, hey, I'm not quite sure. Um, is there a way I can borrow something from you and I'll give it back to you in 10 days? Say, you didn't tell me you needed it. I say, yeah, not actually for me, but someone needs it and I really need it. On behalf of someone else. Another thing that I learned from that is the fact that when you see someone who is above you—your parents, your boss, or your uh, or your pastor, even your leader in church, wherever—struggling with a particular thing, and you have the capacity to bring some solution to it, do you offer, or do you wait for them to suffer? You still here? No, it's true. At times, it's easy for us to just sit back there and laugh at other people's misfortune. Just go, look at that, yeah, suffering. You drive past someone, it's raining outside right now, and you know you are going the same direction. And immediately, you see the person walking down the street. You park a little bit just to watch where they are going. Are they going my way? And if they are going your way, you decide to go the other way. God is watching you. (laughs) What do you gain to see other people suffer? But there's so much to gain to see other people supported. And that was exactly what the prophet Elisha did. He only heard... The king did not send to tell him that, look at what king, uh, you know, the king from Syria has sent to us. Uh, king, king from Syria has sent Naaman. No, he only heard. He said he heard that the king has torn his robe. So why is the king so upset? What is making him upset? Why is mom sitting in her room all day? What is going on? Is there a way I can help mom? Is there a way I can help dad? Why is it that my roommate or my flatmate has been in her room for the past two days? What is going on? You saw the fiance or the boyfriend stormed out two days ago and you just go, I knew. I knew they weren't going to last. They're not good fit. They're not good match. And then your roommate didn't come out of the room. The only thing she came out to do was just to have dinner and go back into her room. And you just sit back there and say, don't worry, she will tell me when she wants to. No. How about you go and go, hey, are you all right? Can we have a chat? Bring the help, even if it's not required or rather requested for. Bring some solution. You can. You've got some solution. Elisha brought a solution and said, Hey, king, it's okay. There's nothing to be angry about. Get him to come to me and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. And that's another way that he's just allowed his God to be known. And when you study a little bit farther, you realize that Naaman swapped religion straight away. After he was healed, he swapped religion straight away and said to Elisha, and said, Elisha, um, from today onward, I'm going to only serve your God. I'm going back to my country, but I'm going to only serve your God because your God is the only one that I know has power in all the world. So, only one thing that I'll ask you to forgive me is, when my master, the king, does go to his own idol to bow down before his idol, and he's holding on to me while he's bowing down, he said, please forgive me because I would then have to bow down with him. And Elisha said, it's okay. It changed him. It changed him. Now, let's come back to Naaman. Now, Naaman went to Elisha and expected Elisha to come out. And wave his hand. And say, you know, in the name of Jesus, let the leprosy go. Elisha did not do that. Elisha sent another person and said, go, tell Naaman to go to the Jordan River and just dip himself seven times. And that's all he needs to do. And the guy got upset. Do you know why he was upset? Because he didn't have the opportunity to show His wealth. He brought his wealth for a reason. He felt a bit embarrassed. He felt a bit belittled because he was the great Naaman. Where do we ever go where people who do not know your titles have to sit together with you and treat you like every other person? There's one thing that always starts to rumble inside your tummy. You know what it's called? pride. (laughs) He doesn't know. I am a police officer. You don't know who you are sitting with. I'm the commandant of the Australian army. You don't know who you are sitting with. No one needs to know. No one needs to know. I'm the chief pastor of the Transformation Church (laughs) or the Pope. You don't know who you are sitting with. No! No one needs to know. No one needs to know that you're even a pastor. No one needs to know that you're an elder. No one needs to know. No one needs to. Why? Because when you are stripped of that, who will you still be? Who would you be? Because titles don't make you. It's your work that makes you. So Naaman came with all his regalia, all his, you know, titles and everything and wanted to meet with Elisha, the prophet, so that Elisha can do all what he does and then he can do what he's come to do, which is, all right, thank you so much, man, wow, great, I'm now healed. All right, now you deserve the payment. Ten talents of gold and my silver and some extras. Elisha didn't want that. I just go. Go to the river. Dip yourself seven times. And he got upset. Are there no better places to go? There are better rivers. River Parfa, somewhere else. You could have sent me there. But it's also good, and the people that we didn't mention as part of the character were the servants of Naaman. How good to have, or rather to be in the company of beautiful, amazing people who are always wishing you well. Who will tell you the truth regardless of how bitter it is? If your friends continue to only say good things about you, check again if they are actually your friends. Because they might just be Facebook friends. You know, Facebook friends hardly say anything negative. And anyone that says anything negative, what do we do to them? We block them. Right? They don't don't remain friends. It's true, right? We block them. And that's the kind of life we live. Anyone who is not saying the things that we want to hear, we cut them off. Right? But that's wrong. That's wrong. So the prophet told Naaman to go and, you know, carry out the, you know, what he needed to do. Dip yourself in the river seven times. And not even in Clare River, actually in muddy waters. Me, with all the degrees that I have, and the, do you know, I'm a commander of the Syrian army? Seriously? That's terrible. No, I'm going home. So he decided to start going until his, his friends, his servants say, hey, my father, what if the prophet had asked you to do something even more difficult? Would you have done it? And one of the things that I've learned from that is how easy salvation has come to us. How easy salvation comes to us on a platter of simplicity. But we expect it to be much more. Even for those who are Christians, how we get reunited back to God when we have blown it a a few times, right? We blow it at times. We, we've done something that we feel like it's an unpardonable sin. And the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, He said, Hey, if any of you sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But you want something to happen to you first that kind of um, is commensurate with the sin that you, you committed so that you know the prayer of forgiveness that you prayed was answered. You know, I've always said that if you've done something that you're not really happy about and you feel like God has not forgiven you, and then you're going through this door and you tripped and fell over, for some of us, all of a sudden, you'll be happy. (laughs) I tripped. I fell. And that is penance for the terrible thing I did. And you'll be happy. For some of us. And that's how it works at times. You've done something terrible and all of a sudden, you got in the car and the car didn't work. You go, yeah, this is God punishing me. No, it isn't God punishing you. It's just because you don't know where you are or who you are or what God has, you know, uh, organized for your life. God doesn't punish people with evil. He doesn't tempt with evil. He loves you. He does love you. And you just need to know that. But we want it to be more difficult. Said so Jesus, okay, so give me, give me the gospel. Said, so, but Jesus died for your sin and, you know, for you to be saved. And all you've got to do right now is to confess the lordship of Jesus. And then you're free and you're born again. Really? That's too simple? That's too simple. Do you know some people have not become Christians because of how simple becoming a Christian is? Because they want it to be a bit more difficult. I have to write a list for you. Now that you are a Christian, you have to pray 10 times a day now that you're a Christian, you must not do this and must not do that. There's no list of do's and don'ts when you become a Christian. Why? Because it's not religion. It's a way of life. I was still here. So my last point. Naaman finally heard the voices of reasoning around him. And went, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And probably was not doing it for his healing anymore. He was doing it for, because of the people around him. Surround yourself with the right people that even when you are discouraged or when your pride gets the better of you, they can still keep you grounded. Are you still here? Let them keep you grounded. Don't always seek out for friends who only tells you what you want to hear. Seek out for, for friends who will tell you the truth regardless of how it hurts. And if you are a friend... And you know the truth that you want to tell your other person. Don't tell them the truth in such a way that if you want to die, just die now. No. Be mindful about how you deliver the truth, all right? It's true. It's important. Otherwise, you actually lose that friendship just because you've told the truth in a very aggressive way. Be nice. Tell someone, be nice. All right? You might know the truth, but be nice how you deliver it. Amen. I we still here. So I'm not sure which of the characters you find yourself or you find an element of each character that we just went through that something in your life resonates with. But I say to you, you live here today, but make some amends. Change a few things. Accept a few things. Don't let where you are right now determine how much you take the gospel forward. Take the gospel forward regardless. Don't let anything stop you. Why? Because God loves you and he wants you to tell the world how much he loves you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand on our feet? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. In the name of Jesus, in everything, every hindrance, every sickness, diseases, will bow to the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. The message you've heard was produced by The Transformation Edge, and we hope it has inspired you. For more information, please visit our website, www.thetransedge.com, or you may contact us via email to frontdesk at thetransedge.com, or on Facebook, The Trans Edge Church. You may wish to call us on 02 4731 2419. The transact, a change is inevitable.